Hello and welcome to today's podcast. It's our great pleasure to have with us today Jenny Holloway. Jenny has spent her entire life in the British fashion industry and needs no introduction. She initially began her career as a buyer and then later became the founder of Fashion Enter. Jenny is a champion for all things British, ethical manufacturing and of course training the next generation for fashion production in her training programme. Jenny, welcome to today's podcast. And thank you very much for inviting me, Debbie. I do appreciate it. Most welcome. I look forward to our chat. So we have six questions for you today and we're going to start with... um, Pivoting production in a pandemic as we find ourselves in the, the, the middle of our current crisis. Tell us all about your um, factory and how you've had to switch to PPE production. Okay, so um, in January, uh, we have a core client called ASOS who have been very good, very, very supportive. Um, and we've worked with them now for about um, eight years in total. And we could see what was happening in February. You could see it was coming. You could read the reports in China. It was all very scary. I think there were a few people out there that sort of buried their heads and thought it's never going to happen to us. But we did anticipate that there was going to be um, an an issue. We had no idea how big it was going to be. And actually, I don't know why I did this. Um, And I'd I'd like to say I, I did you know, a great business plan, and I didn't. It was being opportunistic. Um, We started chasing our debt. Um, We are a social enterprise, and we're always trying to help as many people as we can, especially um, young startup and scale-up brands. And it's, you know, it's very easy to sort of let production go, and you don't get paid straight away. But we just started chasing debt in January and making sure that we just had financial reserves. And then we started looking at our production plan. So bearing in mind, we are great advocates of fast fashion and please anybody out there don't start screaming about fast fashion because fast fashion is a good thing fast fashion is very much about um being responsive and it's about um looking at the trends and producing garments within two to three weeks and then if you are that on top of the trends it means that you sell out at full price and you keep the quantity small that's what i mean by fast fashion exactly we need to redefine that don't we because so many people think of fast fashion as you know huge massive containers traveling over the oceans um and your definition is creating and manufacturing fashion in a fast format and being lean so you don't Mm -hmm. carry stocks you don't you don't have excess fabrics it means that you're making 400 units not 4,000 and then for the retailer they're selling out at full price you know to me it's a bit of a no-brainer I mean I just I don't get retail today and having been a senior buyer and and working on three seasons just time that's utterly ridiculous in today's day and age Mm -hmm. you need to be having lots of OTB open to buy and you need to be producing and making being joined at the hip with your retailer so we have um all this sort of um availability of of speed of response and we started looking at reducing the order commitments for march and april you you could just see what was going to happen so um we worked very closely with asos Uh, we started getting out of as much fabric commitment as we could 
But we did um, have a great relationship whereby they would honour the commitments that were WIP, work in progress, or about to be delivered. And as the trade-off, we then said we would be prepared to hold the stock, but could they help us out financially and pay for some of the stock? So how lucky are we, Debbie, that we had that? You know, we had cash reserves, which meant I could now keep the staff. Um, I got out a commitment that didn't upset the fabric suppliers either. And we were sort of being as lean as possible. If ever Mm. there was an advocate for making in the UK, this pandemic has absolutely done that. Definitely. And then we went down this road of how do we get a PP order? And that was actually such a waste of time. You know, we applied to the cabinet office two or three times on this survey. How frustrating was that? And then, you know, God love the retailers out there. Um, Next in particular, they contacted us and said that they knew of a company. um, I'm going to say who the company was. It's um, Dimensions, which is an American company, and Alexander, which makes uniforms and scrubs um, PPE. Mm-hmm. And they said, would we be prepared to support? And I said, oh, yes, of course. And we have literally made thousands and thousands of scrubs and gowns. Um, Alexander were incredibly supportive. Um, they helped us with the construction of the garments because we, we're sort of quite used to making garments very quickly and it's a jersey-led yeah. fabric. Well, this is all woven fabrics. Um, but, I mean, we've made lots of woven garments before, um, including silk. So it wasn't a problem for the girls, but it was just a new way of making. Mm-hmm. And then it was um, – Madness, I suppose, is one word that comes because we had (laughs) loads of fabric everywhere, loads of garments. And if anybody's been into a UK factory, you have something called the five Fs, the five flows, Mm -hmm. which means that every part, there's five sections in a factory, has to be busy. And we had mountains of scrubs and we had seas of scrubs. You know, we, we had so much work. But it was great. You know, there was a buzz with all the girls um. All the workforce is mainly East European. Uh, They wanted to come into work. Um, There was anxieties, um, especially with our older workforce, because obviously of COVID-19. But we pulled together. We knitted together. We did six hours, um, a six-day week. And and actually some days um, we, we did like a shift pattern. We were doing 12 and 14 hours. So we really turned the factory upside down, but it was great. It it gave everybody a buzz. Wow. And how many products did you manufacture, Jenny? How many many SKUs in total? Uh, We we ended up making 10,000 scrubs a week, which is 20,000 garments. That's tops and bottoms. And then we were doing 5,000 gowns a week as well. And then on top of that, we were doing these snoods. Um, which were chemically coated, but they were very easy. That's just two mm-hmm. overlock seams and bar tacked. And um, we were doing 5,000 of those. And, you know, it was just great to see the factory so full and alive. So, yeah, um, yeah it was great. It was good. And has that tapered off now? Oh, it has. Yeah, it was. We did know this was a tactical strategy. Um, we were very conscious that. It's a bit like when the hotels um, are busy close to a season, so they always put the prices up. And we did know that um, this this was a one-off opportunity to do demand. As I said, we're a social enterprise, so we knew we were cost-effective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we had so many repeat orders as well. And we are now hoping that we'll be able to uh, work directly with the NHS because I think we really proved ourselves. 
Right. And, you know, credit, credit, credit to the pressers, the cutters, the finishers, the machinists. You know, they were just awesome. So proud of them. The whole team pulling that whole workflow yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's brilliant. So talking about the, the fashion industry then, obviously because of your relationship with Aslos, you could kind of put those orders on hold and I guess those will start to start of build, trickle or build back up, I guess, in, diff- in a different format for a, a new era, really, of, of fashion as the stores start to open again. Um, so that kind of brings me on to the question of how do you think COVID will change the fashion industry for the better? What do you think we're going to learn out of this experience? Well, interestingly enough, I saw a BBC article yesterday and it was talking about Marks and Spencers, actually, and their figures. Mm -hmm. And Steve Rowe, the MD, was saying that they are going to look at the UK for seasonal merchandise. And I did think, fantastic, you know, fantastic now that people can see the real benefits of making in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I am old school Marks and Spencers when 94% of garments used to be made in the UK. And I can remember going to SR Gent and Burnham in in Nottingham and seeing these amazing factories of 100 plus people. You know, and and at that time, they're all white British and they were there almost with their twin set and pearls. And then they bring their daughters in a succession planning. And it was really regarded as um, a craft. You know, it was Mm -hmm. a skill. Um, Whereas I don't feel as though that is being a, a production machinist today would not be regarded as a Desiree's. It's not, it's not, it's not cool. It's not trendy. And that's a real shame that people can't see the benefits of being um, a production machinist because it's, their skills are amazing. So do you, do you think that um, we are going to go full circle then? Do you think we're going to start to make um, fashion production much more fashionable here in the UK and we're going to be able to br- in- encourage youth back into the industry? I think because, there's two questions. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Go on. Yeah, just just because of reshoring, we're going to talk about later on, but it doesn't matter. We can move it back up. So, um, yeah, I think you know, has obviously employment's going to change completely throughout the UK. They're going to have various holes of um, opportunity, really. Um, and do you think we are going to see um, the youth start to um, become more skilled? And as you say, the technicians that we need in our production industry. Are we going to, is it going to encourage them into the workforce, do you think? I think it is encouraging, but I don't know whether or not they'll want to do it in a factory environment. What we're finding yeah. is that we've got lots of people asking about online stitching courses. Um, they, they want to learn stitching skills. And it's almost going back to sort of that, that artisan and that craft whereby they want to upcycle. I definitely think there's been a mass move towards sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you can't find pasta on the shelf, why are you even thinking about buying a dress? You know, and, you know, the toilet roll saga. I think it's put fashion in a, a, a different platform. And I think this, um, there was definitely consumer demand whereby it was throwaway fashion, you know, and yeah. that's what I'm going to call, I'm not going to call it fast fashion. But if you're buying 5,000 garments from China and you only sell 3,000 and you put 2,000 on 50% markdown, your propensity to keep that garment isn't the same. You will throw away that garment. Yeah, it's, and it's, not invest- in- yeah, it's not an investment, is it? No, and then it's that's the dirty word of fashion, isn't it? The landfills and you know, how we're treating the planet. So I just feel as though the consumer has had a step change and 
Um, you know, we, we've developed a collection called Bells of London. And ironically, we've had more interest since this has happened because actually we do slow fashion. We do the mm-hmm. other extreme and we make to order now. Um, and actually, we, we're even now saying, oh, tell us what you like and we'll make it for you. So right. I feel as though people want to be different. They don't want a homogenous high street anymore. They want to know the story of where that garment's from. And actually, certainly is a massive anti-China sentiment at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, even with before with Brexit, we were seeing this making the UK coming more to the fore as um, a USP for production. So I really feel as though if retailers now don't grasp the opportunity and actually do what Inditex do with Zara, I mean, you know, they're doing double-digit growth. Uh, mm-hmm. They are making seven new product categories every single day uh, by their design force. And then um, actually speaking to the retail manager and finding out exactly why garments are selling and then repeating back into them. You know, I just feel as though the whole model of spring, summer, autumn, winter, spring, summer, transition, holiday, evening wear, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. I, 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 do you think as well, though, that um, people are a lot more aware of the, the true cost of fashion now as well because of the COVID crisis? Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're all struggling with COVID because it is a, it's a, the health pandemic has been caused by global warming. So it forces the whole population to reconsider and to really tune back in to, um, to the green messaging, the, the messaging of sustainability, which is our, our next question, our next topic, really. And I mm. think because very early on in this pandemic, there was some seriously bad behaviour by the big brands worldwide, not just UK here, where they, you know, 80% of the workforce in Bangladesh is um, concentrated on the textile industry and to just cull and stop orders mm-hmm. and, and, as you say, refuse to pay for um, work in progress. Um, I think really has highlighted to the, the, the larger population of the, the dirty secrets of um, the the, re, the, re, the reality of fast fashion, where it is literally ma- manufactured in mass format and for very very low margins as well. There's there's not much money in that kind of fast fashion, is there? Um, and then shipped worldwide, and which is you know what is causing this huge landfill issue is the cost of fashion. You know, creating things that cost nothing become throwaway items. So I, I kind of hope and with all my heart that this pandemic will actually make people realise that, you know, we do, this, this needs, needs to be a step change. We need to change the whole philosophy of fashion, don't we? So we can. Well, we, we do. Yeah. I, I totally endorse everything that you've said there. And, and I think that... Um, We'll be more discerning about what we're buying as well. I mean, we, we've managed now not to go shopping, you know, in shops. I know people have been buying online, but it, it's been going on a good two and a half months now. And, you know, has anything awful happened that we haven't been buying new clothes? Um, I, I think that there is such a fear and anxiety by the consumer at the moment. Uh, I, I think it's going to take a long time to win over the confidence of the consumer to just go shopping. Mm-hmm. And I, I know, um, it, like in America, when we were saying earlier about restaurants are open, but no one's going. I mean, would you rush out at the moment to go to a restaurant in East, Debbie? Like, I wouldn't. No. I'd, I'd rather be with my family. No, you wouldn't. You just have to, yeah. It's going to take time for that confidence to come back, isn't it? So the 
as you say, people will continue. E-commerce is doing well. E-commerce is growing in this crisis. And it's really, really great to hear that Bells of London, your own designer brand, is doing very well as well, which is fabulous. It's great. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's doing very well, but we've definitely had more interest. I mean, we, yeah. we have not had the money to throw. I mean, for any new startup brand out there, mm. you know, we, we, we did not expect us to be multimillionaires over, you know, a six-month period. We knew creating a brand was going to be a slow burn. We never made any stock up front, except we had a few bestsellers, so we made like sort of 30, 40 garments of those. But, you know, to any brand out there, you look at to your money at the moment and you can practice slow fashion and for designers who've got their own brand learn your skills in pattern making and and stitching because you know you almost need to be like this little circular economy at the moment where you can fulfill orders keep your money tight um don't buy any business in especially on a wholesale um supplier basis at the moment you have absolutely got to weather this storm and and come out leaner and stronger the other side so do you think that is i mean that actually is the definition of of sustainability really um is you know producing what you need keeping low stocks keeping everything tight that really is sustainable manufacturing isn't it a hundred percent. And the other part to that is buy dead stock fabrics so they don't end up in the landfill. But we've created fcfabricstudio.com. So any fabrics we've got left over now, I mean, we're selling silk at eight pounds a meter. And actually, we know that silk um, costs us 23, but we've only got little mm-hmm. bits left. And I would much rather it go to a good home than sitting here collecting dust in a, in a polythene bag. So I, I just think... Do you know what? It almost feels as though the new currency is happiness. I know that sounds a little bit dramatic. <laughs> no, but that like, great. But, but what, what are we here for, Debbie? Like, what are we really here for? The, the reason why we're a social enterprise is that I've always maintained that I think life is about leaving the planet in a better place than when you were first born. Like we should be doing some good. We should be helping yep. people. And I yep. think COVID has brought out some some of the very best in people and also some appalling behaviour as well. But generally speaking, who would have thought about clapping the key workers exactly. and the NHS? Who, you know, before that they were, you know, all regarded on minimum pay and no, we shouldn't have them on um on the um, um the occupational shortage list. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And we fought to try and get um, machinists on that list. So basically, yeah. they would be allowed a right of passage to come in because there's a national shortage of machinists in the UK. And the same with the nurses and the same with the fruit pickers. You know, there's, yeah. there's pockets within industry and we could not get the machinists on. And now I think we're beginning to appreciate just how hard those key workers work and and also support that they give they're putting their own health at risk aren't they without ppe as well yes absolutely yeah yeah so it for it forces us all to focus on um on the on the important things really doesn't it and as you say what we do need so ultimately that's going to change consumer behavior really do you think um do you think that's going to talk talking of sustainability again do you think whilst the general population have had um, an experience that we will all change with, do you think 
it's going to have a negative effect with the big brands. Do you think it's going to force them to take a bit of a backseat on sustainability and choose um, cash before sustainability when we when the world finally starts to rotate at its normal pace? You know, we had big, big moves towards sustainable fabrics, sustainable manufacturing for the big, big super titan brands. Do you think they'll do you think they'll continue with to invest in that, or do you think they'll slow down with sustainability for now? And if they do, will the public put up with that? I think that's a really good question because I do think that these big super brands are answerable to the shareholders, the board of directors. It is about money. I sometimes look at the, the big retailers and bearing in mind I work for Littlewoods, M&S and the Arcadia Group. And I do wonder whether or not for so long these big um, multinational brands have been so um, run by the finance side rather than the creativity and, and some of the decisions made um, to offshore, then nearshore, you know, and, and the decisions to stop making in the UK, thinking that, that they looked at the, the cost price of a garment but didn't actually see the exit price. I mean, mm. if you consider that we can make 400 garments in two weeks at um, a cost-effective price as we, we've got Galaxius, and you can have probably 95% sell-through with minimal transportation, with minimal risk to um, um, ethics, you know, so mm-hmm. we, we don't subcontract and people can just literally jump on a bus and come and see us uh, at um, Haringey. Now compare that to going all the, all that way overseas and transportation costs and reprocessing costs and the packaging and then putting it into distribution and then doing another check. I mean, the money that has been wasted, I mean, it's it's criminal. And, you know, who made those decisions really? Like who, who didn't look all the way through the supply chain? And then you, you look at something like Zara that is it's incredibly lean. And we've all mm-hmm. known about Zara for, what, 10 years, 12 years, that they have mm-hmm. local sourcing, that yep. they've bought out some of their manufacturers to, to ensure they've got continuity of yep. supply. I mean, why haven't we done this earlier here in the UK? I mean, I just don't get yeah. it. They've got that balance, haven't they? So they, 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 you know, they do manufacture in the Far East, but they manufacture the core sellers, the things that, you know, the staples of a wardrobe, can, which can be bought in bulk, you know, things that people buy all of the time in their wardrobe. They're not, not seasonal, not seasonal or trend driven fashion, but you're absolutely right. They do everything much closer to home, closer to base and have a really tight control as well. And of course, give a customer what they want. They want design diversity. You know, as you said, you know, they want new things all of the time. And in doing that, they also create this neurosis of, I mean, I actually am affected by this, is that if I go to Zara, I have to buy it there and then because I know it's not like going shopping years ago with my mother where you go and do window shopping just doesn't exist anymore. That's kind of online, isn't it? And even then you've got to add to bag. So you have to purchase what you see. So in doing so, it creates a neurosis of fast turnover of fashion, if that's a new term. Um, and it, But it's worked. It's proven to be very effective. But it also is ultimately using the right substrates. And if it's created in a circular format, much more sustainable, isn't it? It is. And and you talk about your neurosis about going into Zara, I've got to go now because it's not going to be there in two weeks. I mean, it's absolutely right. That's what they have done. I mean, they have very little discounting. And interestingly enough, the, the designer, not the buyer, is sort of queen bee there. Now, they have design departments that are the centre of each of their different ladies, men's, children's wear areas. And actually, that's how it should be. And we, we have a system called Optitex. 
and um it's, it costs £230,000 to have all the software, to have very high-powered uh, computers that we can print fabric, cut the fabric, everything. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's an amazing piece of kit. We don't have to sample anymore. You can design online and then you build an avatar, which is in 3D, and then you apply the design onto the 3D avatar. You apply the fabric properties onto the 3D avatar. And then the avatar can do star jumps and, you know, squats. And, so and where funny. the pattern – well, where, where the pattern doesn't fit, it shows up red. And then you change the pattern. You don't have to cut any cloth anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is what's happening now. It's going to get faster but more targeted um, it's going to be right first time. And I, I think that um, the consumer will be shopping when they want to shop. And, and what you said earlier about digital, it's really accelerated digital sales. But I also think we've all, we're almost a bit of sort of um, a desynchronized society. Uh, we're all doing our jobs at different times. We're working remotely. Um, and so, We're not doing things at the same time, which will speed up um, more online sales. And I think people want to feel as though they're part of that design process. So you can almost see, I mean, this is a contradiction in terms, but like there'll be mass customization whereby, Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps that avatar, the 3D avatar, each client will have a 3D avatar and they will start designing their own garments, press a button and it goes to the manufacturer. They'll make that garment within 36 hours and send it out to the customer. Now, it, it's it's changing and yeah. retailers can't be scared. They're hungry elephants and they need they need to make sure that they've really got their finger on the button with automation, technology, the supply base. Now, Jenny, you're doing a lot of training on Optitex as well, aren't you? Part of your academy actually does teach pattern pattern cutting, nesting grading, and 3D technologies as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah. how, how how do you see that going? Because for the, the intel that I get from lots of people in the fashion industry that I speak to is that they're really struggling to recruit people who have the digital skill sets. They're very much having to either train in-house or, you know, do a, a very long recruitment chain in order to to find the staff. So how quickly do you think we can actually adapt the, su- the supply chain um, by encouraging designers and, and youth, really, to, to move into the production work frame? Well, I think that with all um, new technology, there's that sort of embedded time to come through and um, we're actually we've got training programs with about five retailers at the moment on Optitex That's so we, we we're very good at early adopters I think we're quite fearless that way um you know I, I used to have an expression years ago before Susan Jeffries threatened to sue me which I thought was my expression which was <laughs> um feel the fear but do it anyway I've actually always believed in that because life's yeah. too short for regrets absolutely too short for regrets and so I've always thought, well, do you know what? Let's go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Well, it doesn't work. Well, at least we had to go. There's nothing worse than regrets. So we invested quite early on. We've had um, Optitex for a good eight months, mm-hmm. and we've got our staff trained on it, and we do one-day, two-day, four-day courses maximum. We don't need more than four days. And it's really interesting that sort of people can be um, – inhibited by new technology people don't generally like change and this situation now is absolutely fluid you just got to go with the flow 
yes. and see what now, whatever curveball comes your way. We're all making it up as we go along, and we, we need to be a bit honest about that, don't we? Yeah, well, we, we just don't know what's going to happen next. Mm, no, we don't. That's absolutely right. So do you actually place your students into retail then as well, which is great? Yes, we have done. Yeah, we do apprenticeship programs and we do level one to level, sorry, we do level two to level five. And we work with geese and hawks in the tailoring, uh, Ralph and Russo, Harrods, Tesco, Um Amazon is another one. And we, we've got probably about 40 apprentices at the moment doing anything from a level two up to a level five, as I said. But what we do differently is we actually weave in OptiTechs. So like, I don't care what they're doing, like a level two or a level five. They need to know about OptiTechs. They need to be industry ready. And we're a very niche training provider. Uh, so we don't do anything like customer service or business admin. I just think those are tick boxes and an easy way actually of making money we really center on skills mm-hmm. and um we're a very flat structure here so we don't have this massive board of directors and having been working in big um conglomerates i vowed that if if we we're going to have to make big decisions we'd have a cup of tea and a cake <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and we were just going to sit around and, and have a chat and then we would decide ourselves as like the heads of departments that yeah let, let's do it and I think having a, an environment where we're not we don't have a blame culture you know, we obviously no one likes to have mistakes but it happens it happens and there's nothing worse than that fear of making a mistake and thinking oh my god I've really cocked up here and you know I, I just don't want to work like that Debbie I'm too old now Life's too yeah. short. Yeah, life is definitely. I think that's proved. Yeah. You know, it's been proven. We're pl- we're living that out at the moment, aren't we? Life is too short. But um, I think what's so interesting, Jenny, about your facility as well is that, you know, for a whole generation, it's been very difficult with um, offshoring, with everything moving into the Far East, for um, graduates, students, technicians to actually get real time production experience. And I think that's why your training academy offers such a fantastic window into real life production they can see it from design all the way through to production actually the other thing that we've done we've done cppd continual professional personal development classes which lasts mm-hmm. four hours and we have buyers come in we do open costings well we actually because right. i i i'm actually ashamed of my own lack of knowledge when i was a senior buyer you know i'd say take a pocket off or i want to take two pounds off the cost price i mean it's ridiculous when i look back and my lack of CMT, cut, make and trim knowledge yeah. and the machines and everything. But these CPPD um, classes that we do, we explain about the variables, the standard minutes and, you know, what, what is an ethical practice? You know, we, we say we're an ethical manufacturer. We know we are, but lots mm-hmm. of people don't even know about transparency and, and uh, the fast forward audits, et cetera. Do you know, there's just, I'm just conscious of time. I just want to say, say um, something really about um, mental health and well-being during this time because I'm really mm-hmm. concerned and I see it in my own staff and, and that's why I just wanted to sort of touch on it. There's this sort of, um, oh, you know, this can-do British and let's be optimistic and we, we can do it, we can overcome. And I do agree with that. You know, I would say I'm quite an optimistic person, but actually I think there's almost over optimism and I think we have to be really careful um, and we need to be realistic at the moment and I think it's okay to say look we're all scared and we don't know what's going to happen and I think um, 
you know, just as we have transparency in our production, we, we do need to be resilient, but it needs to be sort of a realistic resilience. Yeah. Like let's yeah. let's not pretend this is all going to be okay and we're going to have a new norm afterwards. I just think that this is a real time for being mindful of mental health and supporting people. But as you say, if, if you take on the truth, you can plan for the future, can't you? If we walk around like ostriches, you know, that's just denial, really. As you say, things are going to change. How are you going to change and adapt your business and adapt your business for your staff as well um, for that change, really? Um, which kind of leads us on probably to our last question, Jenny, really. Um, being truthful, I guess, again as well. Do you think we're going to see a big swing towards reshoring? Do you think um, do you think volume will come back, or do you think we, we don't necessarily need massive volume here in the UK? As you say, diversity within our orders. Do you think it is going to swing back round? I think it will swing back round, and I think it's happening now. And I, I, I'm aware, for example, that PPE is being made in various locations, but I think we need to do it in a way that is. Um, ethical and it is transparent mm -hmm. and there are dirty factories in the UK as there is in in every part of the world and I, I fear that you know this is going to be this rush to come back to the UK and then we're going to have horrible situations that we used to have back in the 70s and 80s where there were, there were sweatshops and there were home workers and there were bags of swags going in the back of a car I mean one of the places where we used to to work about 10 years ago we're on a different site we we there was a UK borders raid and mm -hmm. we saw people hanging out of windows. I mean it was awful to see. And then we were very well aware of the night shift that was taking place that they turn up at eight at night and then they leave at six in the morning. And I and I don't I don't want to see that happening. That that no. can't happen because that will just ruin it all again and then the retailers will be scared and rightly so that they're gonna have bad press. Yep. Um Years so it has ago. to be ethical. We have to yes. move. Yeah. As we reassure, we have to instigate ethical manufacturing right from the very beginning. And I think the retailers, it's time to commit. You know, stop standing on the sidelines now and commit. Commit mm -hmm. to working with the with the uh, the UK credible sources and produce production plans. Produce production plans that we can work on week after week, uh, month after month, and that, that will give us the stability to invest in the right machinery, such as automatic layers and cutters, and let us move forward. And that's very together. much kind of, yes, very much like the Zara model going back to that again too, isn't it? Because what the past was volume. The future is is volume, but with incredible diversity. And once you start to weave in all of the digitized digital technologies that we have at our fingertips, you know, you do start to follow the Zara um, model more and more, don't you? In that you can have pot pockets of planned, scheduled production, but you don't necessarily know exactly what's going to be in that till two or three weeks before when the prints might change, et cetera. And, you know, you move over to automatic, automated cutting and all of those things, as you say, using the Optitex platforms. If you digitize that workflow, the, the actual fashion brand has absolute ultimate control of what is going to be manufactured then. And they don't have to plan for that three months later. So if they plug that into their artificial intelligence, their data um, minds for Instagram and everything else that they read the statistics from, they can actually be creating in real time sustainably with, with a massively reduced carbon footprint using UK mm. manufacturing 
can't they? Yeah, that is so succinct and so spot on, Debbie. I couldn't have phrased it better myself. That's what, It's all about intelligence. It's all about being that lean manufacturer and retailer. And it's having a trust. You know, you have to trust your sources of supply. Yes. I mean, I've often said that on a Friday night when we go, we always leave at five o'clock on a Friday so everybody has a, a good weekend. On Monday morning, we shouldn't really know what we're cutting because we should mm-hmm. be waiting for the intel that's coming and we should be prepared. We should have our lay plans and our dockets already, a choice of five different garments. And then the, the retailer should say, right, Jenny, we want to have that V-neck scuba dress with the frill on the left-hand side because that's sold the best. And it should yeah. be ready by the end of that week. And we can do that, but only if we work totally in tandem side by side with, with the retailer. Transparency. Yeah, transparency and trust, isn't it, as you say? Yes, and I think I I thank my lucky stars. When we first opened up the company, I didn't have a clue, Debbie. I didn't have a clue about factories, and I think I sort of walked around my bedroom at 2 o'clock at night for months because I was just completely stressed out by it. (laughs) But the one thing I never did was lie, and I never – I never tried to do a quick book and we we'd had very deep foundations. So we did all the compliance. We've got every policy under the sun that we do implement. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's no point in having the policy. And that's the one thing that we did right is that we thought it wasn't a race to the finish line. And, you know, 14 years on, it's now paid dividends because we're, we're, we are well known and sort of um, the girls are well respected for, for the work that they do. And that's what we need now in UK manufacturing. We need a cohesive, um, lean and ethical base for, for retailers to feel confident with. Jenny, you've also evolved, haven't you? Over the last 14 years, you've evolved into it um, with technology to become a centre of excellence. And as you see digitisation with Optitex, et cetera, you are putting all of those frames into your workflow. So you are primed for production, aren't you? You, you're, you are state of the art, which is so, so important for the retail to, so that they can react with the speed so that they are, you know, you have created a viable manufacturing platform. Well, I've certainly got older, Debbie. <laughs> I, was, I was saying I've definitely evolved with my face. Um, There's technology yeah, that I, can do that. <laughs> yeah, filters. <laughs> I feel, um, I think we've had a real journey. And I think that the mere fact that as a senior buyer now we do garment manufacturing, I would I would say that we, we love a challenge and the people that work within the company you know, they've got to be adaptable and of that nimble approach yeah. uh, themselves. And I know I put people in um, sort of scary places that are outside their comfort zone, but I only do it with the intention that it's good for them as well. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Caroline, um, our um, production director, she's never taught. And um, I insisted that she sort of supported with me actually on these CPPD sessions. And she was such a natural speaker. Now, when you, when you know what you're talking about, you can give yeah. a, a very good presentation, but you have to be relaxed to do it. You don't want to feel under pressure. And she's now doing um, a training qualification, which I'm delighted at because now she's got a skill for the rest of her life, hasn't she? That's and we've great. got more and more people doing that. So, yeah, yes, I mean, it's, it's a scary place, but you have to embrace what we can and possibly not watch the news so much now because every time I, get, I watch the news, I feel depressed. But they just, they just have to have that sense of realism. 
and have that trust in your supplier base and and move forward as as everything evolves really but as you said earlier jenny you 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 highlighted the fact that we have to stay lean and flexible so that you can pivot to wherever you need to go to um to to address the moment really Jenny, thank you so, so much for your time today. I'll make sure um, all your contact details are in the podcast notes so that listeners can get in touch um, to find your services and also to perhaps ask questions um, and technical advice, etc., for training programs and things like that. Um, great to talk to you as always. Um, you do a sterling job for the UK. Um, and thank you so, so much, Jenny. Well, thank you very much, Debbie. You made it very enjoyable. Thank you. <laughs> speak well. soon. You keep yeah, keep going and speak very very soon. Take care. Bye bye. All the best. Bye bye. Bye bye.